She left out the part that I'm a schmuck. And so I'll let you know that right up front. But I will say this about Mary. First of all, she is a mentor to me as a pastor. I've been doing this for a little over three years. She has made me a better pastor. But she is also a dear friend, which makes her help me become a better person. And I am deeply uh, grateful to God to have Mary uh, play a role in my life. Um, we're, we're headed for a court case. The court case is found in Micah, and it's the most unusual court case that you will ever see. I, I need some help to do this, and so I want to introduce over here Kizzy Thomas. Kizzy goes to our church, Kizzy, uh, and then she is also a student at the seminary next door. She's working on a road toward ordination. Uh, I've learned a lot from Kizzy, and I'm grateful you're helping us out. Next to Kizzy is John Witte. John works here at Calvin, also a First Church member. So John, you can stand up too. Uh, he's John right now, but in a second, he will be God. Okay? All right. And then over on this side is Deborah Burzma. She works in the education department. I am particularly fond of her. She's my wife. Okay. And so uh, thank you. Uh, for all uh, you to help me out. We're at a court case. It's found in Micah. Most court cases, you're looking for resolution. There's charges, there's defense, there's witnesses, and, and then there's a resolution and life goes on. This is what happens in this court case. We're, we're going to start with a bailiff, and this is from Micah 1, and the words will periodically appear up here so that we can see what these words are. But uh, just to review, up here will probably be, this makes sense, that this is the, uh, the judge's seat, and then over here will be the witness stand, and then the prosecutor is, is right here, and then we have the defendants who tend to be here. And I've watched enough law and order that I think I got that right. And so the bailiff calls us into the courtroom scene. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down the slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression because of the sins of the people of Israel. Well, well this makes perfect sense, right? Uh, God is coming down. He's got something. He wants to make a, a judgment here. And so we anticipate that God will come and render a judgment because the people of Israel, people of Jacob, have done something not quite right. And we're going to hear what the judgment is. We're wondering um, what they did wrong. Uh, but maybe that will come up in the next part, I except instead of rendering a judgment right away, this happens in the court case. And so now we pick up the court case in Micah 6. Well, now we head over to Micah 6. What happens next? Listen to what the Lord says. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. 
He is lodging a charge against Israel. This surprises us a little bit because we're used to God being judge, and now he's moved over to the role of the prosecutor. So now we're going to find out, this makes sense, I guess, what the charges are. He's about to level the charge against the people right here in what they have done. And so we lean in. We, we probably think, based on how we opened up with worship, this will probably have to do with justice and righteousness because this is the way God is. He loves righteousness and justice. And I bet you the people, I bet you that's the charge against them. So, so we wait for the prosecutor. He's about to announce the indictment, if you will. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Did you see just what happened here? The one who was supposed to judge, the one who we expect to level the charge, now plays the role of the defendant. He puts himself on trial and has the people come and ask them, you judge me. It's kind of a surprise move. We, we wonder, why does he put himself on trial and then immediately he provides evidence? He starts really big. He brings out the fact that there was a big exodus, right? And he had Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and of course, that was a big-time victory. And then he says, oh, don't forget that King Balak. He wanted to plot against my people, but I wouldn't let him. Oh, we, we thwarted his plans. And then do you remember coming to the River Jordan? We took a little road trip, didn't we? We left that place that has a name that we don't like to pronounce because we're afraid we'll mispronounce it. And we crossed over through the Jordan, and we ended up in Gilgal. And you know what was in Gilgal? The land flowing with milk and honey. Do you see everything I've done for you? This is how the trial starts. He puts himself on trial. He looks at the people and says, come on now. Make a judgment. Let me turn the tables on you. So far, we have no judgment from God, nor do we even know what the charges are yet. He's the one on trial. The, the, the people, the, the people feel uncomfortable. Does anyone here want to uh, judge God? Would you like to answer God's questions? You want to judge him for what he's did, for what he has done? You, you don't want to be in this position and the people head back. They don't want to be here. They, they go back to being the defendant in God goes back to being the prosecutor. There's a bit of tension in the air. The people got to think of something here. This doesn't look good because God just absolved himself of any of the blame that they might be able to level against him. God, it's your fault. No, it's, it's not. Wait, maybe a plea bargain. Maybe there can be a plea bargain. There can be a way in which God will, will hear what, what is being offered. And then this court case can end. Then we can stop. There won't be any judgment. There won't be any indictment. Let's just settle it right now out of court. And so the, the people offer a plea. We would like to put this matter behind us. All of us know 
you are the Lord. So together, together we all stand with me. And we ask if you will accept the conditions of our offering. With what, what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What a wise offer. Uh, try to end the, end the trial early. See if, if God will take up on one of these things. We could almost picture some of the, the way the, this went. It starts with a question. What shall I come before the Lord? What shall I bow down? God says nothing. So uh, that wasn't so good. He's not going to tell us what he's looking for, apparently. Um, maybe we should start with the burnt offerings and their calves are only a year old. What do you think? Still nothing. Maybe we could up it a little bit. What, what if there were, mm, what do you think about thousands of rams, God? Thousands of them. Would you like that? Still nothing gets a little bit more intense. Whoa, whoa. Picture, picture a river, and we got olive oil pouring down through the river. How much olive oil do you want? They'll go nice with the, the sacrifices we're trying. Can we give you olive oil? Still nothing. Listen, um, we have a child. Our firstborn. We'll bring him to the temple. He can be a temple worker for you. What do you say to that? Nothing. He doesn't respond. What will God do with a plea offer? Doesn't sound so bad, does it? There's quite a lot of good stuff in there. We wait. And then God tells us what he'll do with the plea offer. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Oh, man. I want the court case to end. I want this to just kind of stop and know what I have to do, but God comes up with this plan. He comes up with an action plan. He doesn't want the stuff. He seems to want us to act justly. To act justly is to be the type of person who sees something that is not just, unjust, and then takes action to correct it. It's to notice that there are sometimes that the color of your skin will determine the type of education you receive, where you will live, and what type of job you might be able to get. To see that and then to enter in and act justly. 
To love mercy is to love with such loyalty, with such faithfulness, that no matter what, no matter what happens and what the cost, to keep on loving. Love mercy. Oh, and then to walk humbly? You mean to carve out part of myself so that I can allow God to move in? So that I can walk alongside of him? Couldn't you have made it just a little bit easier for us? What if we could act justly some of the time? What if instead of loving mercy, we like it a lot? Would it be okay just to walk humbly with you when we're here in the loft service? We'd like that. But no, the action plan isn't something that stops within a court. As much as we want the case to end and know that we can pay something, do something, offer something, but you want something more. You want all of us, every bit of us, to do those things. It's impossible. Do you notice that? The bar is set so high, it's impossible. God figured it out, too. After a while, God said, I have to send someone. I have to send someone so that people can see what it means to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. You do me that favor I asked you. He sent his son. And David, can you do me a favor and advance me a... Uh, yeah, thank you. The son comes, and he announces to the world, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know the Father, you got to come by me. Well, what does it mean to act justly? Well, one example might be you can picture everyone around the woman who is about to be stoned for sin. And to act justly is to move in and ask the question, well, make the statement, let the person without sin cast the first stone. Comes at a cost. Who knows if the stones will fly in his direction. Sees the injustice, acts on it. Oh, what does it mean to love mercy? Oh, remember the story? Remember the story about being a neighbor. And the question for Jesus was never, Oh, who is my neighbor? The question always was, how can I be neighbor? I wasn't trying to figure out who it is. The only question he was worried about is, am I a neighbor? And then the humble walk. The humble walk that goes all the way to a cross. The humble walk that comes there where all justice and mercy and righteousness meet. God sends his son to make the point of what it means to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly. We're post-resurrection people. How we doing? How are we doing with the imperatives? 
How, how are we doing with acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly? We kind of want to just edge out of this. Except you cannot, because there are witnesses who keep calling our name. Oh, they, they come to the witness stand. If we listen carefully, we will hear justice and mercy and humbleness. Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. What I heard was that an altercation started right at the police cruiser. That's when the first shot rang out. Michael Brown, the one being pursued, he tried to run away, and the police officer pursued. And then more shots were fired. Eleven shots were fired. Michael Brown, he died in the streets, unarmed. That's what I heard. about the news about Eric Garner. What I read is that an altercation took place over an allegation of selling cigarettes. An argument ensued that got physical. The officer took Eric Garner down to the ground in a chokehold. I read that people heard him say he could not even breathe. His body went limp. An ambulance came, and Eric Garner was pronounced dead an hour later. That's what I read. Uh, what I saw were red flashing lights. We were headed over to Sparrows on Wealthy. And we were just driving down Lake Drive when we were pulled over. My friend was asked to show his license and his registration. And then we sat in the car for several long minutes. And then the officer came back and let us drive away without telling us anything we had done wrong. My friend, who is black, explained the charge as DWB. Driving while black, that's what I saw. You know, <laughs> I'm really not sure how it happened, but I got to rent the cool house in East Town. Yeah. I went there in the morning, and the landlord said that the house had already been taken. 
I went there in the afternoon. The landlord said we were the first to see it. He showed us all around. It was so great, I just had to take it. When I walked down the stairs away from the house, I heard a voice of another person saying, who's at the door? The landlord said, no one. I was at the door. I walked away. What I know is that my scholarship came through big time. I never realized how really lucky and fortunate I was to have experienced teachers in my school that were just excellent. A support staff that was so great, they really helped me get through that ACT. Our school was second to none. I mean, fine arts facilities, great athletic fields. I was surrounded by an incredible learning environment, and it positioned me to get these scholarships. Great resources lead to great scholarships. Know what I mean? What I felt was belittled. There was only one other black girl in the entire school, and people still got us confused. And she had dreads. And do you know we wear name tags? And just the other day, in a conversation with a classmate, she assumed me to be three things. First, a Baptist. Let's just be real. Why? Then a Pentecostal, then charismatic. When I denied I was neither one, she felt the need to apologize for her assumptions, although flippantly. Apology accepted. But the denigration from what was really labeling had already taken place. That's what I felt. Imperative was to act justly and to love mercy and then to walk humbly with God. The reality is, we don't. None of us. We're stuck in a trial scene here. And there's only one thing to do. And it's to confess. And we can only do it at the one place where something different's going to happen. It has to happen at the cross. So let's have our prayer of confession right now. Holy God, we come to you, Lord, knowing of your deep love for righteousness and justice, knowing that you fill the earth with your unfailing love and desire your people to walk alongside you. You reach out your hand only to find people who clutch tightly 
their possessions and privilege. You watch us stumble about while you walk towards those without, in, without adequate housing, health care, or a wage that will sustain their family. You invite us into places where your holy work goes on revealing your presence, only to see us hold back and choose safe over sacred. Forgive us, Father, for our unwillingness to receive more of you through your gracious offer to act justly and to love mercy. Forgive us for walking away from your infinite love toward the things in our life that will never satisfy. Forgive us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What happens at a cross? Well, well, guilt is met with grace. A confession is met with assurance. Something amazing happens here for a people who are on trial and have just confessed guilt. It's Paul who describes it so vividly in 2 Corinthians 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Incredible, isn't it? Can you hardly believe it? We come and we confess what we've done wrong and the judge looks at us and says, you're forgiven. We're good. We're reconciled. I don't have a problem anymore with what you have done. It's all right. My son has come. He's nailed all that upon a tree. All of that is there. It's forgiven. We're good. Hallelujah. For a purpose. I've reconciled you, says God to us. I have made you righteous for a purpose. The cost of the cross is high. So it's not just quite good enough to come here and say you're sorry because I got one more thing you need to do. Act justly. Love mercy. 
walk humbly with me. For you now are my ambassadors. You are the ones who go forth and you do the reconciliation ministry for me. I've sent my son to make you holy. Now you're holy and it's time to go. So wrap yourself in the cross. Wrap yourself in every bit of brokenness you have because you're going to move away from it. And you are headed off to do what I did for you. And it's not easy. It is not easy to do justice. Tonight we are going to end with the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He did a message. And in the message he talked about the cost of doing justice. We've adapted and summarized his words so they fit together and give us a clear way of moving forward. Here are the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I don't believe in reconciliation apart from justice. True reconciliation requires justice. The problem we have today is that it's easy to talk about unity and reconciliation, but it is excruciatingly painful to bring forth justice. It's costly. In fact, real justice will cost you your life. And unless you are willing to lay down your life, you are not really ready for justice. And if you are not ready for justice, well, you're not really ready for unity and reconciliation. You have not paid the price to be reconciled. That's the way it goes. There is no crown without a cross. I wish we could get to Easter without going to Good Friday, but history tells us that we've got to go to Good Friday before we can get to Easter. That's the long story of freedom, isn't it? But something else came to my mind. God comes in the picture even when the church won't take a stand. God has injected a principle into the universe. God has said that everyone must respect dignity and worth of all human personality. And if you don't do that, I will take charge. It seems I can hear God speaking. I hear him speaking throughout the universe. He's saying, be still and know that I am God. And if you don't stop, if you don't straighten up, if you don't stop exploiting people, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to break the backbone of your power and your power will be no more. And I say to you, my friends, rise up and know that as you struggle for justice, you do not struggle alone, but God struggles with you. He is working every day. 
Somehow, I can look out. I can look out across the seas and across the universe and cry out, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Then I think about it because his truth is marching on and I can sing another chorus, glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. I want to encourage us to stand on the side of justice, to free the oppressed, to lay down our lives and take up our crosses, to relinquish our privilege in partner with God, securing the freedom and the dignity of all people. Let us lay down the simplistic notions of unity and reconciliation and as mature Christians, first pursue justice for all. As Micah 6 verse 8 commands, let us do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Will you pray with me? Lord, your life-giving word has conquered the powers of sin and death, of hatred and bitterness and enmity, of prejudice, fear and selfishness. As Christ's body in this world, Help us to follow the example of our Savior. Help us to take up our cross and follow. Help us to cling to you in a hope of a world reconciled in reflecting your image. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.